All right, welcome everybody to the podcast, and today we have Akiva Silver with us. Um, one of his major books is Trees of Power. We're talking about um, trees and how to use them specifically on the homestead. So uh, join us as we uh, kind of dive into this world of trees. Welcome to the Schoolhouse Life and our I Bought a Homestead Now What podcast. I'm Lacey. And I'm Drew. Homestead health and business strategist. And between us, we have nearly 40 years experience in homesteading, parenting, and holistic living. We love helping people live more sufficient, deeply rooted, and satisfyingly connected lives. Two to three times per month, we post a new podcast on Wednesdays that will inspire, ease, and answer questions about this lifestyle you may not even know to ask. People and homestead strategy clients ask us all the time how, why, and what to do to make their homestead less chaotic, more efficient, and mostly more peaceful. The lessons we've learned, the training we've had, and our strategic approach will help you skip steps and find more ease in your homesteading journey. Did you hear something you like? Did you learn something new? Please share with a friend or on social. Tag us at The Schoolhouse Life and we will be thrilled to share and connect. Your shares, encouragement, and even questions are what keep us going. Thank you. Okay. um, Yeah, Akiva. So give us a little bit of quick history of like how how did you get into the world of trees um well i was really into uh i was pretty young when i got really interested in wilderness survival and uh, primitive skills and i just kind of dove into that pretty hard and didn't really look back and just kind of went for it and decided i was gonna live at at nothing above stone age technology and i just kind of rebuked civilization and spent as much time as possible in the woods and uh, learned from some really amazing people. And I just really uh, thought of wilderness as the kind of epitome, like the, the the only pure thing, the only thing I really wanted to be around. And, uh, but in doing that, I, I spent a lot of time in nature and I would spend thousands of hours sitting still and observing it's just in the process of you know becoming in tune and learning to hunt with primitive technology and stuff you you have to become extremely silent and the more i observed like as i got better at tracking and hearing bird song and stuff i started to realize that like the the most biodiversity the most the most life was actually not in these deep untouched wilderness areas but it was it was actually in uh, like the edges of civilization like like if i would go in a vacant lot or something or like like this strip of brush behind a walmart or you know in, in next to highways like in the suburbs though that's where i was seeing not just like oh it's it's like there's some birds here it would be like 10 times the number of mammals and birds i would be able to to see and get close to i'd see more plant diversity more food to forage and collect as far as like wild fruit and stuff than if I was in like, you know, Alaska or the Rocky mountains or the Adirondacks or something. If if I was in some wilderness area where it was untouched by people for the most part, it was not nearly as much abundance. And so I started to realize, you know, maybe, maybe it's not like the way I think it is. Maybe people aren't necessarily bad for nature and (laughs) i could see that we've we've like accidentally created all this habitat Mm. and 
I started saying, well, what if we did that on purpose? And, um, and so then I just kind of got really excited about planting uh, magnetic trees, trees that draw wildlife in. Like, I don't want to just plant like a bunch of, uh, you know, like a big spruce plantation or something. Yeah. I, I wanted to plant trees that would change an ecosystem and make it more alive. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen, like, like I, I wrote about in my book, this huge stand of red maples in Pennsylvania that I was camping. It was, this was thousands of acres of only red maple with at least 99% of the tree species was red maple. And there was almost no birds there. And I could um, see from what happened, the area had been logged and reseeded. The red maples had just kind of seeded in at the right time. And I thought, what if at that time of disturbance, someone had come in and just put in like a handful of apple trees or mm. you know, a handful of oaks? It, it would have made a totally different world there. And so I just got excited about finding disturbed areas and putting those key species in the right place at the right time and, and just changing the world that way. And I, don't I know, feel like you're the Johnny Appleseed of today, like the... <laughs> The Johnny Tree Seed, just generally. Like. I don't know, he, was, he was way cooler. He was way more <laughs> hardcore than me, too. I don't know, if you ever read about Jonathan Chapman, he was a real person, and he was an extreme yeah. person. Yeah, he was a out like a fringe guy. <laughs> yeah, he was a, a religious zealot, and like yeah. he, he, he has some very extreme practices and views. I thought he was a, a real cool hero. <laughs> well, you mentioned um, some of the mentors you had, and I think just even reading the cover of your book and the intro with Sam Thayer, I mean, those are some, you have some really incredible people um, touting your work. So I'm I'm just curious, like what role um, they've played in the tree realm and, and how did you, how did you learn sort of, where did you get your basic knowledge other than just, ex or is observation really it? I mean, was that, you're just like, oh, that oh. tree is amazing. No, I mean, I was just like, I I didn't know anything when I first got interested. And I first went to, um, I read a book by Tom Brown Jr. Mm -hmm. And and then I went to his school. He he does like a wilderness tracker school. And, and that was like completely new world to me. And uh, and from there, I, I met a lot of people. Um, I went to this place called Hawk Circle in New York State, where I learned from Ricardo Sierra. Um, and then I just met like a lot of just, just people living off the grid, um, completely, you know, people who had renounced money and, uh, didn't, did, a lot of them didn't even, they kind of had forgotten their real names. They just had like code names cause they were actually, uh, I didn't even know people like this existed, but they were, you know, they did a lot of monkey wrenching and stuff. And, uh, so they were living under the radar, but they knew an incredible amount about nature and how to live with these trees. And then, you know, after meeting people like that and learning some of these skills, a, a lot of it really was just spending a lot of time observing and foraging. Mm -hmm. And Sam Thayer's books were huge in getting me going on foraging. And um, yeah, yeah, I, we got his first book and I'm just like, this is inc I mean, it's in not his first book. It's the first book to us a couple of months ago, and it's just like a Bible of everything out in nature. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. The knowledge that he has expansive. Um, 
And also from what I, I know, several people who know him personally, and he seems like a really, really great individual that everybody likes. So that's a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. He's a good you, person. You hit me with like a, a key phrase. Like I was just talking about a holistic management last night. And the big phrase there is like for grazing is like the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And um, you said that same phrase for like planting trees. And um, it's just like a, a really interesting thing within nature. Be- because like this lady was talking to me where they had a forestry mulcher come in and like mulch their woods. And then she left for a year. And when she got back, she was like, it was worse than it was when it was mulched. And um, we just had like our property logged. And it like, when you said that, it really got me thinking of like, um, man, we need to get in there while it's like opened up and really plant uh, the appropriate trees. Like what, in the southeast United States, what do you think, like, if you have to pick key species, what would you put into a, um, a brand new, uh, essentially, it's like a a blank slate at this point. We left, like, probably 30% canopy cover, but... With with the goal of grazing, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously going to be site-dependent, mm-hmm. but there are... are some species have like an open area and the soil is like halfway decent you know not you know i mean there's there's so many different sites right there's swamps and there's ridges and and then there's just you know in between um so like if it's just like normal ground i think persimmons in the southeast are huge like have to be incorporated persimmons are a real uh, pioneer species that colonizes old fields down south and like i i would i can't even imagine not planting a lot of persimmons if i was down there (laughs) um uh, honey locust is another one especially for grazing and mulberry i mean if you're going to be grazing i i I would i think mulberry and persimmon and oak are are and honey locust those four would just be tremendous and along with chestnut um, mm. But you can put grass under all those trees as long as you're not planting extremely densely, and uh, and then you'll have a great mass. So if you have mulberry fruiting from, let's say in the south, probably late May all the way through September, um, and then you're going to be leading into your honey locusts, your acorns, and your chestnuts, and then finally your persimmons. You've got mast on the ground for you know from basically may through december you know that's a long time to have mast dropping and grass at the same time do you um when you yeah (laughs) when you arrange trees like that do you kind of stick with like the permaculture idea of like uh guilds or what what's your thoughts and like do you just kind of plop them around or and I am not a very organized human being and I like to just kind of do things intuitively. Um, yeah. So when I look at a piece of land, I just kind of, I get like a sense of thing. I'm like, Oh, I feel like there should be a bunch of chestnuts over there. Like I could just feel like they want to be there. It's, I don't know. That's not a very good answer, but no, that's a great answer. Perfect. I'm answer. Not, <laughs> I don't, I really don't think like, I think if you, are having trouble like figuring stuff out where it should go just 
really observe um, where things work when they're left on their own. You know, like when you're driving around and stuff, wherever you go, just always be looking at what species are where. And you'll see, oh, oh, I see how like oaks congregate on these like dry hillsides. And I see that maples are doing this and, and, uh, and you kind of get a sense of where things want to be. Um, and, and that it's okay for things to be in big groups together. You know, it doesn't all have to be like this incredibly diverse guild. Nature doesn't usually do that a lot. A lot of times nature works more in like, Oh, here's a grove of aspens. And it's like, you know, three acres of just aspens with some, you know, brambles underneath. And uh, I, I think when you have blocks of things, it it's more powerful and it draws the animals in easier and, as opposed to having things just kind of scattered everywhere here and there. Um, and, and even like when things are flowering, like people who plant stuff for pollinators, they've they've found that if you if you want to plant like, let's say, bee balm for for pollinators which is a flower if you plant that and you just have like a little bit here and there um let's say you had like 100 plants and you scattered them all over the place it's not going to have the same effect as if they were all together in a huge Mm. patch and that big patch of red will draw the pollinators in like nothing else will so I like having groves of things I like seeing a grove of chestnuts and a grove of persimmons and pollination works better that way and uh it's it's easier for the animals and if you're harvesting fruit it's so much easier if things are together but i don't know i, I think really just, just yeah yeah just pay a lot of attention look around that's what i always encourage people to do well i think that's why i like your book so much is because it's not like there is this is the one way to do it i mean i think we have we have like backyard orchardist books and we have you know all these different um I don't know what the right word is, but how to kind of manage your property effectively. And your book kind of like foregoes all the rules and it's like, look, try it, see what, see what happens. And you're clearly very experimental. Um, and I think that it really, um, it makes it possible to a not invest a million dollars into growing plants, like just, you know, take cuttings, see what takes root, um, get seeds, try and, and start them from seeds. It opens up a door that I think some people think, okay, you have to invest this amount and you have to plan it in just the right way. And you have to really focus on digging the right hole. And is it circle or is it square? And and you're much less, uh, maybe more fluid is the right word about how you approach things. And it's like, try 10 things at once instead of one thing. And um, I think that's a really, I don't know, for me, that feels better because I can't tell you how many plants I've killed. But, you know, people are like, oh, you're so good at gardening. It's like, I'm not. I'm just... I do more than right. I kill. <laughs> so like, yeah. that's the approach. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I think, you know, it can work for some people. Everyone has different styles because we're, mm-hmm. when we're working with land, it's really just, it's like cooking, you know, you just do it however you want. And some people like to follow a clear recipe and measure everything. And some people like to just throw stuff in the pan. And mm-hmm. uh, it's not like one way is better than the other. It's like, if you like to, cook with a little bit of chaos that's fine if you like it to be more organized that's whatever works for you you mm-hmm. know so i'm yeah. i'm more of a chaos i like chaos so <laughs> i think that's where we land too so it's a fr- refreshing to find somebody who's on the same page there because um yeah 
Yeah. And once you put it in a book, it's officially a good, a good answer. Right. right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also I feel like your approach is more of a philosophy than it is like a rigid, you know, um, mapping out of things. And um, there's so many nuggets of wisdom and um, encouragement and inspiration about just enjoying the process versus, you know, getting so calculated. I think it's really great. Um, I think what actually um, we've been thinking for several years since we got your book for the first time, we'd like to have you on the podcast. And then you wrote an email recently and Drew was like, oh, this is really good. And he even read it out loud to us. So I, I want to say like for people who are listening, get on your email list. I don't know how regular you are about your emails, but um, that one released it out to us. And and I think that people can can get in touch with you and, and learn from you um, in a lot of different ways. Right. What are what are the ways? How can people connect? Yeah. Um... Uh, my website is you just look up twisted tree farm and you'd find it um you can see my book on there and i send out an email like maybe every three or four months um and um, i have a propagation class that i teach online um that'll be opening back up probably in a month or so and yeah i say you could find anything any way to connect with me by looking up Twisted Tree Farm on the internet. Yeah. And you're starting to grow more trees to sell, right? Like, can you talk about that some? Yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. That's how I made my living for the last, I don't know, dozen years or so. Um, I have a nursery and I sell fruit and nut trees and berry bushes and perennials. Um. And that's, that's, that's what the website is really built for, but it also has like articles I've written and stuff like that. But but yeah, that's, that's how I make my living these days. (laughs) Well done. So, okay. Questions before we get off. So right now we're, it's the peak of winter. It's very cold. Um, But we, you know, know this, if like we're, we're trying to plant trees, we're right now thinking, okay, what are we going to get in the ground before um the spring starts to settle in what would you say is the best kind of activity for this time of year in terms of growing trees oh there's so much to do um every time of year um right now what i'm been doing a lot is i'm i'm cutting stuff back i'm cutting so much i have like a pretty big stance of willow that i coppice and then um and then I have all of these uh, old orchards that I'm reclaiming. So I'm it's like clearing brush and uh, I make a lot of biochar in the winter. So I'm just cutting and burning like all winter, basically. Yeah. Um, are, there, are you there's, using some there's of other things you can do? There's always stuff you can do. You can be <laughs> starting, you can be starting plants inside right now. You know, you can be rooting cuttings, you can be germinating seeds, you can you can do a lot of stuff in the winter, but if you want to be outside, I think I think cutting cutting stuff and burning stuff is pretty fun. And, and <laughs> so okay, what the air pruning beds, we've been we've been experimenting different like shapes and sizes and we're um we've had some success over the last year or so. Um do you have I'm curious just about your setup. Do you have a lot of greenhouses or um, even hot houses or anything like that that you're using infrastructurally? No, no, no. I, 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 um, have like a little greenhouse 
just for fun where I grow like figs and tomatoes and stuff like that in it. But um, no, like as far as my production area, it's for the nursery. It's all outside. And if, if the trees are in a greenhouse, it kind of messes them up anyways, because they start, um, they won't stop growing when mm-hmm. the season ends, like the summer ends and as the summer's winding down, the trees need to harden off. So they need to stop growing and turn all that tissue into wood so they will survive the winter. And if they're in a greenhouse, what they're going to do is they're just going to keep growing and growing well into the fall. Mm-hmm. And then sooner or later, it's going to freeze in that greenhouse and, uh, and they're not going to be ready for it. And they're going to, all that growth that they put up is just going to die right back and it won't right. be able to survive the winter. So. I keep everything outside all the time. And what zone are you in? Five. And five. So you're like in a really limited, what normally I think people think of as a limited without a greenhouse zone. So that's pretty cool. I like that. Perspective. I mean, I know other people who live in like Quebec and stuff. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're very limited. And they're like, well, I know people even far, you know. Well, it's interesting because we always want what we don't have, right? Like, because I'm. I grew up in the north, so maples and collecting maple syrup. I'm like, we can't. We tried. We it's not happening down here. But we, we just got upgraded to eight now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, what can we grow now? <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so that but that's fascinating. Um. Very cool. Yeah. Did you have another question? I thought you were going to say something. No, I, I'm just really interested. Like, I have a list of trees I want. So the next step for me is we've been trying to budget it out. Now we're headed to your website to, to see what you <laughs> do <got>. some shopping <laughs> yeah i think things get sold out pretty fast there, there there's still uh chestnuts left but it, it it's amazing i i own up sales december 1st like that day i sell out at least half our stuff that's it's awesome crazy i feel like there needs to be more nurseries out there or something yeah with chestnut are these chinese i mean i'm assuming they're chinese chestnuts right yeah, I grow um, mostly hybrid chestnuts. I grow several different strains of chestnut, but uh, hybrid chestnuts, they're American, Japanese, and Chinese um, kind of have what I need as far as cold hardiness and disease resistance and um, nice nuts. We haven't had success with the chestnuts that we've purchased so far, so we might need to give yours a shot. So, I don't really genetics. Genetics are much difference with chestnuts uh, and site like they need well-drained soil um, but yeah. if you have good genetics and well-drained soil and you live in the united states you should be able to grow chestnuts yeah we need to give it another go yeah <laughs> the um, straight chinese ones are often not that great oh interesting okay and i, I and talk I would... about chestnuts for hours <laughs> i know well i there's like um yeah, there's a lot I, I want to learn and know. And I just read not long ago, uh, what was the book? One of Barbara Kingsolver's books. And she, they talked about chestnuts in there and how, you know, American chestnuts can be still be found randomly here and there. And um, so now I just want to go on like a chestnut hunt and see, you know, they don't survive for very long, but they do grow. So anyway. Yeah, I, I find them all the time. Do you? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. We'll have to go hiking together. <laughs> anyway. Well, it was really amazing talking to you. We've loved your book. I, I even, this is actually a new copy, not my, our used beat up copy, but um, we love it. If you haven't purchased it already, you really need to get Trees of Power. Um, 
just for inspiration and ideas and the way you simplify it and kind of make it super tangible. Um, and again, sort of whimsical. It's not like this cut and dry. Like if you do this wrong, you're going to screw it all up kind of thing. It's like, eh, it'll work. Something will work. <laughs> and I like yeah. that attitude a lot. Yeah. Um, just but, a lot of darts on the board. <laughs> that's right. That's the goal. Just hit as much onto the, the, the wall as you can. Um, but yeah, you're, you're inspiring a lot of people. And I think you're doing some pretty incredible things and, um, the trees. Thank you. Or at least I, the lover of trees. Thank you. So <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much. And everybody go, uh, check out Akiva's website and book and, um, buy some trees from them. Yeah. If there, there are any left. If there's any left. <laughs> cool.